Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmidty, Swanee and Clarkie visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hello. Fancy seeing the two of you again. Hello. Hi, what a pleasure. Indeed. I'm I'm shocked. You just keep turning up at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how are we? Good. Not too bad, thank you. How's your week been? My week's been okay. I went to, um, been away for most of the week again with work, which was fun. Uh, uh-huh. snuck, in, snuck in a couple of bevies during the week. Um, it's been quite nice, I think. And it's Thursday, kind of feels like Friday. Yeah. How about yours? Hmm. Not bad. I'm, I'm on holiday still. Still in the ensuite. Uh, that's okay. And we went, yesterday we went on a little cruise down the Murray and then back up again on the SS Payap, which is a, a paddle steamer and had a couple of, what do you call them? Piccolo champagnes. Oh, piccolo. Little piccolos, yeah. Little piccolos. <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, and then uh, not much else really. Yeah, that's it. And we're going out for dinner tonight after this, but um, it's been very nice. It's a bit windy again today, but at least it's been nicer weather. So all good. And you, Carla? I don't really know. I think I've just had a bit of an ordinary sort of week. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. It has been that interesting. It's been really dull. I apologise for my lack of interesting life. I'm not on holidays and I haven't travelled anywhere and I haven't been anywhere or done anything. But I've got a nice weekend to look forward to, so I can't complain. Um, can, can I revisit what I did this week? Because um, all of a sudden I've just remembered, sure. this is how ridiculous I am, the first response is always, oh, yeah, I don't really know. And then I think of something. Um, so one point during this week I got a... Uh, with, with some customers and, and work colleagues, a flight from Shepparton up to Bathurst. We did four laps of Mount Panorama in uh, a supercar oh. and then flew back again. Yeah. Ridiculous. Cool. <laughs> Didn't really do anything then. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> that, that is literally how my head works. Yeah, I don't really know. Nothing much. Oh, hang on a minute. I just did the most amazing thing ever. Hmm. There you go. And it was good fun? So good. Did you enjoy so it? So good. And we, it, yeah, yeah, really, really did. The um, the whole flight thing was just Are you a you know, closet absurd. rev head or is that your thing? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a closet rev head and I wouldn't say it's my thing, but I don't mind it. I was probably uh, on the more on the nana side than the rev head side as I was going around because <laughs> you, you get into these um, supercars <gasps> and... And they go, they go so so fast. Uh, but you're in the driver's seat, obviously, uh, and they're um, manual. So I haven't driven a manual in uh, forever. So coming straight off the blocks, I stalled it, which was nice. And then uh, the uh, instructor has so he t- he tells you, you know, speed up now, brake, blah blah blah. So the first lap I did, it's quite a challenging track really really hard track so it's bad one to do 
for your first V8 experience, as I now know. Um, so the first time around, I was going fairly slow. He was uh, saying, accelerate, accelerate. <laughs> and it re it's really odd because you, you brake coming into the corner, but you also accelerate before you've even gone through the corner. So um, you, yeah, rather than just accelerating out of the corner, you actually almost accelerate into the corner. Um, but, you know, got to kind of 200 k's an hour, um, which is fairly fast for someone who, or for a country where you're not allowed to go over 110 normally. It's good. Mm, that's pretty fast, I think. Mm. I was in a... Um... Oh, I was actually not in this conversation. I was listening, you know, eavesdropping recently. And I lived overseas when Peter Brock died. Um, ah, yes. And I didn't realise that he died outside of Perth. And I was listening into this conversation and people were talking about he'd actually died on their property where they had had one of those rally races. Um, and it happened to be on their land where he died. And I was like, oh, there you go. I didn't even know he died in WA. But... Um, Brocky was like king of the mountain, was he? A number of times in Bathurst. He was. Is that what it's called, king of the mountain? King of the mountain. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You are. It. Yeah. You, oh, sorry. I'm just gonna. That's my New South you Welsh are, background. You are all over that shit. Yeah, yeah. Well done. It's actually for those of you who are, aren't in Australia. It's Australia's premier oh, motor course, race, yeah. Bathurst One Thousand, and it's on. Uh, yeah. This like this this in December this year, so like the I think the fifth of December or something. It's, Mount it's quite amazing. The, Mount Panorama. The the speeds that they go for such a long period of time to then have you know split seconds between first and second sometimes is just insane. Because it goes for I don't know six hours or something, um, and they go a lot yeah, faster long, than I it? do. At that speed. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Be anyway, so I, taxing. Yes. You win. You so definitely the, had a more interesting week than me. Yeah. So. Yeah, I definitely didn't do nothing or whatever it was that I started with. Um, I did some amazing things. Took a, a team of work colleagues out for dinner last night. That was really good. Yeah, it was, it's been a very good week. I shouldn't. Uh, I should think before I oh, speak. I'm just not nice. very good at that. All good. All right. Well, shall we introduce ourselves? Sure. I'm Schmidty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky, and together we are Trial, Trial by Wine. <laughs> Seamless. <laughs> Carla, do you have a story for us today? I do indeed. Before we go down that path, why don't we discuss what we're drinking? So I've noticed Paul's got a glass. What's in your glass, darling? Paul always has a glass, as uh, most of our listeners will know by now. <laughs> I was thinking exactly um, the same thing, but I didn't want to say it. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll do it. Happy to put myself down. Well, it's, this one comes with a little story. So a couple of weeks back, I think I told you we sold some stuff on Marketplace. And some of those things that we sold were fence pickets because as we were going into lockdown last year, we thought we were going to end up not being able to leave home for months uh as it turned out so, so we bought a whole lot of fen fence pickets that we could paint during lockdown blah 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 anyway as it turned out we were essential workers so we had to work all the way through and these fence pickets have sat on our front porch for god knows how long uh anyway we decided we would sell them because we couldn't be bothered doing that project anymore and so we sold them off somebody bought them she was super excited she um 
you know, they're telling us all about how they just moved into the area and they couldn't get uh, fence pickets anywhere because there's a wood shortage, blah de blah blah So anyway, we said to them, oh, here, there's some paint that we bought as well. You may as well have that. So they were really excited and, and took the paint graciously, gratefully, whatever the right uh, word is there. And they then uh, this week dropped off two bottles of wine to us to say thank you for our generosity, which was really lovely. Um, and one of those is a pepper jack Chardonnay from the Adelaide Hills. So I'm having a little uh, pepper jack Chardonnay from the Adelaide Hills. That was the long, long version. Hmm. Sounds good. What about, about you two? Uh, I'm having a gin and tonic. Um, I'm on a Gordon's pink gin with a bit of tonic water. Very exciting. Not but refreshing because it's quite warm where I am. And you, Carla? Well, I've got to do school pickup this afternoon, so I'm just having one little <laughs> little vodka DC just to get me through my story. And uh, and then I can still be responsible mummy for pickup later. But, um, I thought yeah. you were going to say you're just having your standard vodka t- DC to get you through. Um, <laughs> to pick-up. get me to pickup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Anyway. All right. Is a vodka DC uh, vodka and Diet Coke? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. In my days when I used to be a sort of what would I'd call a much heavier drinker, it was probably about the most locale thing I could find. And that's probably for someone who has such a, you know, a lack of taste and is practically allergic to every, you know, wine or anything with histamines in it. It seemed to, it got me through many, many years. <laughs> many years, didn't it, Schmitty? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Never mind. All class. All class. Mm. Tell us about your story, Carla. Today, the tale that I'm going to tell you, it could be called Hollywood Hollywood Dream Gone Wrong, but I mean, that's a little bit too generic. And I think once we sort of get into the the guts of the story, I think we'll realise it's really about a number of different players and their contribution to a particular person's life. And I think that's what we're going to focus on. So the entire period we're talking about really is only over a fairly short period of time. It's sort of from 1977 to 1980 that the lion's share of this tale happens. So it's, it, it happens pretty quick overall like, from where we start to kind of where we finish. Um, and we start in Vancouver, in British Columbia, Canada, and we're at a Dairy Queen, which I actually bothered to look up because I think that every female starlet has come from a Dairy Queen. So even as Australians, we know the term, but I don't know that we ever have been to a Dairy Queen or have ever really looked into it. We just know that they worked at a fast food joint as it turns out, Dairy Queen suggests it was actually soft serve ice cream, which I would have guessed, and fast food. But I think... It's a Dairy Queen. You wouldn't believe it. But there's actually a Dairy Queen in Glenroy. No way. Yes. I don't know if it's the same chain, yes. but yeah. And it's been there for years and years and years. Yeah, it's still there. Well, in doing my research, it started in 1940. Mm. So if it is one of their franchises, I don't know if they have it elsewhere in Australia. That's, that's good to know. I didn't know that. It's extraordinary, but yeah, it's there. But you've all heard of Dairy Queen, haven't you? Don't you know that? Don't you feel like every story starts in a Dairy Queen? Of course. Yeah, or a diner. Oh, yeah, Yeah. diner or a Dairy Queen. So, of course. So, we have a lovely young lady, and her name is Dorothy. At the time, her name was Dorothy Hogstratton, and her parents were Dutch. So, they had immigrated to Canada, um, and they had this beautiful daughter, and she was 17 years old and had already been working at Dairy Queen for a couple of years because her parents had got separated. 
got separated, had become separated, did get separated. Don't know how to say that. Um, and mum was struggling a bit as a single mother. So Dorothy was helping out by having a part-time job at Dairy Queen while she was at school. And that's where we meet a gentleman by the name of Paul Schneider. And Paul Schneider, or Schneider, um, was a bit of a player. Paul met Dorothy when he was 26 years old and she was 17. And he happened upon her, obviously, at the Dairy Queen. And immediately, I think he saw something that really took his eye. The reason being, because Paul was already a small-time pimp. (laughs) And I use that word knowingly, and I use that word because that was self... He described himself as the Jewish pimp. So this guy... Sorry, hang on. Yeah, I know. He only pimped out Jewish women? Or no. he only served Jewish men? <laughs> it means he, he was the Jewish. Jew. And was he the was yeah. the Jew. Right, Paul, right, right. Paul was the Jew. And oh, so he, it wasn't a, he wasn't just catering to a particular no, you know, audience. subset? No, audience not at all. Cohort, right. Not at all. He had apparently already or, been down to LA and had tried, you know, a bit of a hut. A hustle down there and I think it just hadn't worked for him but I think he'd seen the bright lights and he'd returned to Van- to Vancouver and from what I can understand he was doing a little bit of um, a side hustle as a pimp but he did have a job as a promoter so he was promoting clubs and he was also promoting cars at like um Same car thing. shows and stuff so he had and it, it had an income but he was certainly supplementing it um, with the pimping on the side and I'm led to believe that that's because he had quite extravagant tastes and I don't think his income as a promoter was quite um, enough to accommodate a gentleman who liked to wear a full-length mink coat. Oh, and... I like to wear a full-length <laughs> mink coat. I love a good Jeez. mink coat. Sorry, go so on. He, he, I know. he was. I mean, if we, could, if we could get dressed up for a 70s fancy dress party... Paul Snyder would be an absolutely brilliant person to base your character caricature on. He wore a gold Star of David medallion that was huge. I mean, it was probably, I don't know, five, six centimetres across. And it was encrusted with, I don't think it was diamonds, but it said jewels. But it was a right. huge Star of David. Huge, you know, to the floor mink coat. Moustache, you know, silk shirts. This guy... There was nothing sort of small time about him in the sense that he wanted to be seen. He wanted to be noticed. He wasn't trying to stay under the radar. Paul wanted people to notice him. He'd been, you know, skinny, dorky Jewish guy from what I understand. Uh, his, His parents had split up. He'd had quite a tough upbringing. And he started to work out, started to get a bit of attention. And that then image, that image really conjures for me the archetypal seventies porn star, though you know, like totally with the, with the mo and the everything, yep. just seventies porn star. He had. I feel like dabbled a with waka, some waka, gangs waka in... as he walked down the street. <laughs> <laughs> there was definitely some of that going on. I think he really had big aspirations. He wanted to be the big man. I think he was very slight, quite short, and there's sort of talk about him having small man syndrome, but, I mean, amongst other things, frankly, I think that he was, ugh, I don't know, he, he, he was not a good guy, and he certainly... Did he wear heels? Did he have cubes? I'm sure. It, or something? Yeah. Platforms. Well, should, my, should anybody in my family ever listen <laughs> yeah. to this? Uh, a gentleman by the name of Russell John Swan, who also happens to be my father, uh, 
was partial to a Cuban heel. Uh, so I don't know if he wore them very often, but he certainly did wear them to a fancy dress party once where he was <laughs> dressed as a cowboy and he had black Cuban heel boots on. How cool is that? Probably 1979 if I had to hazard a guess. But very yep. cool. Well done, Dad. Um, anyway, so in terms of trying to, to give you a little bit more idea about Paul, he wasn't he wasn't involved in drugs. So he'd sort of tried to be involved in gangs in Vancouver to make more money, but a lot of it involved drugs and he was very much against it. So because he didn't, he just couldn't go there, uh, it kind of limited him somewhat. So I think he just had to say with prostitution and pimping, you know, what how a guy. Try, sorry, how do you try to be involved in gangs? Uh, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, I'd just like to be involved in your Pick gang. Me. Can I be in your gang, please? <laughs> Can I give you a quote? It said, when they were talking to a gang member, it said, a fellow gang member said this about Snyder. He never touched the drug trade. Nobody trusted him that much. And he was scared to death of drugs. He finally lost a lot of money to loan sharks. And the crowd, or the gang who we're talking about, hung, hung him by his ankles from the 30th floor of a hotel. He had to leave town. <gasps> so what? that was before he... Yeah, that's before he'd even gone to LA the first time. So he then goes to LA... Uh, he tries pimping down there um, on the fringe of sort of Beverly Hills society, but he he doesn't have great success. He has a few near misses with the law and basically runs back to Vancouver and thinks, you know what, I'll give it a shot up here. And guess what? He's sitting at the Dairy Queen and this absolute knockout, Dorothy, um, is serving him and guess what he thinks? Oh, hello. <laughs> Aren't you something special? Perhaps you yes. could be my golden ticket. So I'm still trying to get my head around how if you're a pimp and you're not into drugs, I mean, I don't know how that all works, but I kind of feel like in the movies all the time the pimp also has the drugs. And I feel like he's only half oh, doing totally. the job if he's not involved with the drugs. <laughs> I get the feeling he's not very good at any of this. Uh, you know, like... <laughs> He's not committed enough, in your opinion, this right? He's not very good. He should have a career track. Exactly He's right. doing the best. I, I'm a he doesn't pimp. understand yeah, how to leverage really... the drug. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're just a try-hard pimp. You're dabbling. I, I dress like a pimp. I'm I'm not part of a gang. I don't do drugs. I'm not very successful when I go down to LA. I get... But I look like I've been dressed out of Casting Central. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got the look going on. I just live a fancy-based yeah. lifestyle, I think, is what he really does. Well, it's that whole thing about dress for the job you want. Yes. That's what, he, that's what he's been yes, doing the whole time. Right. He's just not quite making yes. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. So yeah. it does take Dorothy's eye, though. So he approaches her and... For all intent and purpose, I mean, really, he starts to groom Dorothy. Uh, they eventually become boyfriend and girlfriend. But, I mean, he was 26, she's 17, and he starts with, you know, the really obvious stuff of flattering her, working out what her insecurities are, starting to, you know, compliment on her on what her insecurities are, buying her gifts. Uh, he took her to her year. I don't even know. I don't think you'd be allowed to do that these days, but I think he took her to her formal Um and basically, he became part of their life, including, I think, I think even her mum knew about him and everyone was sort of okay with it. But, you know, I guess he was seen to be successful. I don't suppose he presented himself as a pimp at home uh, to the mother-in-law, but um, 
he became a presence in her life and they became a couple and they became lovers when she was 17 and he was 26. So but it he was the 70s. It's quite a romantic story, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, we met at the Dairy Queen. He was a promoter. I was a Dairy Queen chick. And we fell in it love. It says here, which His I really do David like. got me. <laughs> it said he didn't keep a low profile in that he drove a black Corvette, wore a mink coat, and a Star of David encrusted with jewels that hung on his chest. He was called the Jewish pimp, and he cultivated that. So I'm not saying that that's what he's called. He called himself that. He was known as that. And quite proudly, like he, that was, you know, it's what he wanted to be known as. And, you know, he was proud of it. I'm surprised he's got a black Corvette if he doesn't do drugs and it's not in a gang. <laughs> like, where do you get that money from? Well, I, I don't know, Gash, pimping and perhaps you're a little bit of uh, your promoting work. I don't know, promotion work, promoting work. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I might have to change, do a career change so I can get a perhaps. <laughs> so he had a plan and he already had, you know, big dreams for Dorothy because she was going to be his meal ticket. So probably towards the end of, 77 early 78 when their relationship is progressing he convinces her to have professional nude photographs taken Ugh. and she's quoted i've seen her interviewed and i think it was actually a radio interview in this particular instance and she says oh look i'd never taken my clothes off for anybody else i would never normally do that and it took him about two weeks to convince me you know but then i did and of course those photographs were sent directly to playboy Oh boy, I was going to say, has this got a Hugh Hefner connection? Oh, oh yeah. what? Yeah. Yes. And the reason that was sent was because there was going to be a competition. So in 1978, so remember, they've only met late 77. So this is not even like a year into their relationship, probably. It's, you know, early on. Playboy hosted a great playmate hunt. <laughs> a contest to scout... A new Playmate, which was going to celebrate, I think, the 25th anniversary issue of Playboy. So Did she he, know her photos Snyder were convinces, going there? She may have done. I, don't, I haven't read to say otherwise. I suspect okay. she did because he kept saying to her, you're bigger than this, you're better that, you're going to be a star, you're incredible, you're beautiful. Right. We, 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 I'm going to make you you know, the next Marilyn Monroe. I'm going to make you, you know, a superstar. So I suspect she did know, and I suspect that that was how they got her mother to sign off on the photographs because she was under, I think she was 18 by this point, but she was so young that in in Canada there was a rule that she wasn't allowed to have the photographs taken. So her own mother had signed off and said it was okay. I thought you were going to say it's how I they got like... her own mother to also pose with it. <laughs> I was like, oh my god! Oh goodness! I feel like but he's I mean, got I a cert three in shamanism. <laughs> he's got a cert three in something in pimpism. Mm. Um, pimpery. <laughs> so she pimpery. Pimpery. Well, I like that. A certificate three in pimpery. <laughs> add it. Add it yes. to the college. You should introduce <laughs> that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. So they have these photographs taken. Her parent, her, sorry, not her parents. Her mother has approved for them to be um, 
well, you know, sent off, I guess, not so much probably taken, but certainly sent into Playboy. And when they arrange, when they arrive, they're, they're very excited. They think that she's got great potential. So they fly her down to LA. So it's the first time she's been on a plane, certainly the first time she's been in a limo. I mean, obviously she's been in Paul's black Corvette, but I mean, I imagine it would have just been a whole other world from, you know, the Dairy Queen at Vancouver. So when she gets there, there was a lady who was the magazine's former West Coast editor. Don't I you love hope how they it always was. say that on American shows? Yeah. And she'd worked with Hugh for over 40 years, and she said about Dorothy, she was a total babe in the woods. I cannot remember another playmate being that. I don't want to say naive, inexperienced, unused to her surroundings, and not used to thinking that she was really beautiful. Well, that just sounds like a child to me, but anybody else might have something else to add. But yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that lots of girl, lots of young girls would have been like that. Yeah. Uh, you kind of go. hope so. Story of exploitation. Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. I called her a woman. Yeah, we found an 18-year-old. shot her, said. Yeah. Oh, like this what? She had a statuesque look, but when you talked to her, she was still like a little girl. Mm. And I'm like, this. do people still say this stuff? I mean, it's so of the time where it's like, yeah, because she still was a little girl with a hot body and you all yeah, went, yeah. here we go, let, let's go to town because we know what people like. But it did remind me of our friend Janelle. Remember Janelle who was in our um, social yeah, media? She was just too pretty. She was just too pretty. Oh, uh, yes. When she was so pretty and <laughs> she was like a child as well. Like, she oh, talked Janelle. like a child, didn't she? Yeah. Did she have yeah. a strange little high-pitched, weird little girl's voice or something? Yes, precisely. Yeah. yeah. Dorothy is sent back to Vancouver. She's obviously back with Schneider. This was, you know, that was just a quite a quick trip. And they wait. They wait to see if she's won the, what was it called? The Playmate Hunt. The Great Playmate Hunt. Turns out she didn't win. Oh. And that was because somebody thought that she probably wouldn't be able to handle it with the lack of experience that she had. So luckily, somebody in the Playboy Corporation actually read that probably correctly because whoever became the Playmate Hunt winner was going to have like a massive, you know, promotional tour and everything yeah, that comes yeah. with it. Having said that, they were so taken with her that she was made the Playmate for August 1979. So it was really quick. Remember, she's already becoming a Playmate the following year. Mm. She was shy, but she needed more grooming. So she had Paul in one ear, you know, get your gear off, darling. But the Playboy Corporation could see that she was probably too young and too naive to handle the celebrity that would come with her being um, a playmate. And I think if you think back to that era, I mean, we're, we're a bit too young, but I mean, we've seen enough and we've heard enough to know that it was so important it was, you were such a star if you were a play, playmate. It was a big deal. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A stepping stone for lots of other different things. And remember, before there was social media or anything like that, a magazine, and it had staying power. So not only was it under, you know, the bridge under the creek where all the boys would look at it, you know, over the following years. Pamela, or your dad. Like I know, I know many years later, but wasn't Pamela Anderson a Playboy bunny as well? Oh, probably. They they practically all were at one point. Mm. There was a whole period of time. It was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think by this point, 
I don't know when it comes into fashion and out of fashion, but it had to do with the way Hugh positioned it was he ended up sort of turning it slightly so that he would try and make this suggestion that, that the women wanted to do it as well. It wasn't just for male gratification. It was empowering a woman to become a centerfold. That might be a bit early. I think this was probably too young for that. Sorry, too early in the pitch for that to be the case. I think that probably happened maybe in the 80s and 90s. But mm. um, at this stage, I think it was just get your gear off and look hot. Um, and, you know, the rest of it's kind yeah. of irrelevant. But, you know, there's already And, some and try not to act like a child. But, but I, yeah, just yeah, don't speak yeah. like one. But also, you've got to remember that it's all a bit... Um, it was just window dressing because everyone knows that men buy Playboy for the articles. That's so true. true. That's right. Uh, it's like you, like the um, the ads in newspapers nowadays because it's just full of ads and you've got to flick through them. It's exactly the same with those magazines. That, you know, God, so many pictures. I just want to... Read for a little bit. I just want to read a really good article about Bathurst or something. Yeah. That's right. So we've got... (laughs) This is a really good one for you today. Playboy and Rev Cars. I'm like, wow, you must be... (laughs) What are called? Red-blooded males. Time Anyway, um... (laughs) Yes. We did time it well. I don't even even know who you are anymore. Um... Don't even know who you are. So <laughs> Paul and Dorothy moved to LA, obviously, on the success of her winning, um, you know, the the accolades of Playboy, really. They they want to foster her. And so what they do is she's Playmate uh, Pet of the Month, but they also give her a job at the Playboy Club, which was in Century City in um, Los Angeles. But she's so young, she can't serve alcohol. So she is basically a door bunny and, you know, a meter and greeter and is not allowed to eat the alcohol because she's still underage. Just At sit there time, and look pot and start... try not to speak like a child. Totally. Just look good. But she is attracting all of the attention that someone who's about to, you know, try and embark on a career as such um, would would want. So certainly at the Playboy Club, if... she's becoming more and more popular. Every um, dirty old man in town hanging there. around her like flies. Correct. And the person who's truly hanging around her is Paul Snyder. He is everywhere. Every step she takes, oh. he is there because he sees this as their success. He was the one who discovered her. He was the oh. one who groomed her. He was the one who introduced her to Playboy. So I have to add at this point, and I, it was only when I you know, read stuff and the research and sort of coming to it much later. But it's important to note that as a Canadian, he did not have a green card. So he wasn't actually able to work. So he didn't even think, he wasn't planning on working independently. His whole livelihood was always going to be Dorothy and the management of her and whatever that was. So he owned her, he managed her, he he he, he and Dorothy were one. And he'd yeah. always set it up to be that way. And he'd always said that to her, we will be this. This is we. Us is the product. It's not you. It's us. I'm the reason yeah, for your success. Yeah. I, I, early while you were talking through, we're a team. Thing, so this is an ownership thing. Oh, totally. Oh, we're yeah. We are a team. Mm. You know, if she was at yeah. a photo shoot, I, I she was do on nothing. the phone to him constantly. <laughs> yeah. There's no I in team. It's fine. And by all accounts, no, and every U-in. single thing that I've read or heard, <laughs> there sure is. Um, 
she <laughs> she totally trusted him. She did love him. And she was really thankful because he was the one who discovered her. And it was all because of Paul that she was able to do any of this, was what she thought. And he She's certainly reminded her of that concept. Yeah. You know, baby, didn't know this man, either. this man, not a boy. This man has discovered me and done this, done this for me, um, for us. Um, and she's totally thought that any success that she was having, she totally owed that to him. And she was very thankful, very loyal. Um, she wasn't out there trying to find someone else. She, she loved him, and she, you know, she was totally into it. She thought that her success was his success, was their success. It wasn't about her on her own. So. Paul, they if I take married. my clothes off again, will you take me to so McDonald's they were married, for lunch? Uh, in 1979. <laughs> now, so what I have wrong. to do before I sort of go any further with the marriage is I have to tell you who had an issue with their marriage because this is what... <laughs> Hugh Hefner had a mar- an issue with their marriage. Because <gasps> oh, yeah, like, Hugh. He's because a it, good guy. He can I read know. the situation. Can you He's a man with this? morals. Because what had <laughs> happened is... Oh, just wants to look out for the girls. That's right. What did it say? Takes one to know oh. one. So mm. dear Dorothy had become so incredibly popular that she started to become invited to the parties at the Playboy Mansion. And by all accounts, going to a party at the Playboy Mansion in the late 70s was akin to probably going to, I don't know, the Met Gala now or something like that. It was not just hot women. It was important directors. It was, you know, movie stars. It was sports people. It was, you know, the idea that you were invited into that sort of enclave of A-list, you know, celebrities was something that everybody coveted, even people who, you know, perhaps were not necessarily interested in Playboy as nude women, but... You know, it was a place to be seen and be seen amongst that sort of group of people who were in the public eye. So Dorothy was a total hit at the Playboy Mansion. Who was not a hit? Dress code bikinis. Is that? Absolutely. Yep. So (laughs) she and Paul would go there together. And what I've loved about this, and you have to go and there's a documentary um, done, or it's not really a documentary, I guess it's probably a teleseries by ABC News. And they interview lots of what were the secretaries, so actually administrative staff um, of Playboy um, Corporation, I think you'd call it, at the time. They, and Hugh as well, they talk openly about their feelings for Paul. (laughs) And there is not one positive thing. He's called, you know, a douchebag, a sleaze. He was despised. They just could see that he was a total hustler. They called him small time. And I think that that was... The biggest issue. It wasn't actually that he was a pimp or whatever else. It was the fact that he tried so hard that really grated with the rest of them because he would come in, this sort of small man with this statuesque, beautiful blonde who they had already, you know, seen and they were going to take her into their fold. So and then like you've Tom got Tom Cruise. Then you've got Paul literally, you know, claws <laughs> into yes. her, you know, don't forget about me, you know. <laughs> Uh, so you can see that sort of dynamic and that conflict between Hugh and big business, you know, the real deal, big time playboy and little pimp going, uh, you know, how don't, you know, exclude yeah, you me. Don't here, we're, mate. Yeah, we're part of the deal. It's yeah. not Dorothy. Yeah, yeah. It's the Dorothy and Paul. It's us. I'm her manager. You know, so, of course, Paul sees that that's happening and he's very, very clever to get married and, you know, to make sure that he's got he's, Dorothy. He's hooked her. Yeah. Yeah. And I read that in places that she's... I feel like they'd totally be saying, 
you don't even do drugs and you're not part of a gang. You're never going to be big. Just <laughs> go away. Oh, I mean, he. there's lots of footage of him and there's lots of footage like where they're at parties and there's one where Dorothy's doing a signing after she's probably made Playboy. Uh, it might have actually been... Anyway, we'll get on to that. It might have been she actually does become Playboy made of the year versus the month. And she has, like, there's a lot of promotion that goes with this. And she's signing autographs, whatever else. And you can see Paul trying to grab her hand. Like, there's footage of him. Seriously, it's a, it is so obvious that he is trying to control and be involved in everything. There's footage where he's talking to Hugh. And Hugh is dismissive. It's awkward. It's He's just does, not does wanted Hugh- there. Does you have a similar look on his face like Prince Charles had when he met our <laughs> Prime Minister Scott Morrison the other day in Glasgow? <laughs> oh, I didn't see that! Oh, darling, I didn't see it. I wish I had of. I well, must have a look. You should imagine that the answer to that question is yes. That Prince Charles and Hugh Hefner had a similar look on their face. Oh, gosh. So things are going very nicely for Dorothy. And through her connections with Hugh... Hugh starts to look at sort of how she can manage her career. And I think this is something they do for a lot of the girls. They give them business managers plus also a money manager. When I say give them, they're not giving them. Obviously, they're agents and they pay for them. But they do try and set them up so that there is a degree of, you know, uh, administrative responsibility, I guess, that the girls clearly don't have. But I would imagine that displeased Paul even more because all of a sudden, all of the money that she's starting to earn goes to a separate channel before he would be able to access it. Correct. Correct. So it's even more small irrelevant. time. Small time oh. pimp is really struggling. Um, he did hit on other women in the grotto, and that was an issue. And they, the Playboy. That's, man- a, that's a horrible phrase. Yeah. That wasn't a euphemism. Yeah, like it's a horrible <laughs> phrase. Sorry about that. Hits on other women in the grotto. Someone hit on the grotto. Oh. I hate it when someone hits on my grotto oh. without my permission. Oh, if I get but hit what, in the grotto what, one more time. <laughs> it did work to Playboy's advantage, though, because what they were able to do was they said, you're simply not allowed here, because apparently he'd also been going without Dorothy. But they said, you are not allowed on the premises without Dorothy. So they were already starting to try and push him further and further away. And they were starting to advise her and sort of say, you know, you've got to be careful of this guy and, you know, you sure he's right for you. That's why the idea of sort of separating business and giving her the managers and setting that up you can see where they're trying to without cutting them off you know send them on different paths so sure as hell paul knows he's got to get married so she goes off and marries paul against playboy's wishes against hugh's wishes which i just think is funny because hugh calls him a pimp (laughs) small time a small time pimp (laughs) Yeah. yeah so we're in June of 1979, and they've just got married. And I think that at this point, Dorothy's quite happy with that arrangement because she feels like everything's starting to blossom a bit, and she's so thankful because of Paul. This has all happened because of Paul. Um, and he's very quick to remind her that though. they are... Yeah. It's, all, it's all happened because she's hot and there's lots of dirty men in the world. That's, that's pretty much the bottom line, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> But he's very quick. I forgot this is an audio show because I rolled my eyes enormously. That's a bit pointless, isn't it? Yeah, none of the listeners would laugh at that. No. Oh, no. Uh, And he's very, very quick 
to remind her of this at the time that they're married, and I certainly think had been doing it beforehand and, you know, after, that he calls it their lifetime bargain, that they're together. That's, that's their, you know, well, their thing. It's a lifetime bargain, darling Dorothy. Exactly. If you were, if you were hot and a woman, this wouldn't work. If you had any experience in a, and, and enough self-confidence to say, yeah. hang on a minute, this is all about me, then yeah. things yeah. would be different. After anyway. they're married, <laughs> I like this bit because towards the end of, the, oh, towards the end of 1979, she makes an appearance on two different Playboy productions. I mean, could you even imagine watching this on TV at the moment? One is Playboy's Roller Disco. Oh, no, it's the same It's the same show, sorry. Playboy's, Playboy's Roller, Roller Disco. Disco. <laughs> and, and Pajama Party. <laughs> having said that, I do watch Love Island, which my kids give me a lot of shit about, and that's fair enough. So maybe I'm I just agree. watching it. Maybe I'm just watching a modern day version of it in many respects. Yeah, but um, do you remember uh, so when? Sorry, do you remember when we uh, were in the UK, color and we had a party for Claire? It was a farewell party because she was going to Egypt, and the mm. and the theme was something like glamour or yeah. you know, or Egypt. And I remember you ringing me saying, uh, "You really need a single-minded proposition." <laughs> on this. I do remember that. It's not glamour or Egypt. Pick one or the one other. One or the other. You can't yeah. have both. That's right. So I'm sorry. It's a roller disco or a oh, or it's a party. party. It's yeah. not both. That's right. Thank you. Yes. That's exactly right. I misread that before because I just assumed there were two separate thoughts and two separate theme parties. But no, Playboy's roller disco and pajama party. I feel like if you're roller discoing though, you can't do that in your pajamas. Like not in your, you know, long flannelette type pajamas, but more so in your skimpy little lingerie pajamas yeah Let's i have a feeling honest. i can picture those pajamas that's i have a feeling yeah, yeah. the brief for the costume department would have been pretty much the same for both playboys roller yes. disco flesh pajama party flesh and lots of it so it wasn't yeah. like they couldn't have done two separate briefs exactly when we say clothes we just mean something that goes <laughs> up your ass crack and covers your front bum yes. and some nipple tassels yes that's right. Something that that will, will try to discourage us from groping you in the grotto. <laughs> what I do like about that is as a result of her being on that, now this is one for Australian audiences because I actually think we might have even seen these episodes, she landed two sort of small acting gigs. One was in TV show, Fantasy Island, and the other one was <laughs> Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Both of them. I know. So we've probably seen Dorothy wow. in action. The plane, the plane. Have. It's the plane, the plane. Yes. <laughs> so although they were just small parts, that would have been very important. I mean, as Australians, even of our, you know, our vintage, to know those two programs is quite significant, right? You know, that would yeah. definitely be a stepping stone to something, you know, a crossover to actresses, which is, you know, what Hugh had seen for her and certainly yeah, what yeah, yeah. And later what happens for pamela because pamela was definitely a cover bunny for playboy yeah yeah exactly so it's exciting times um and this Sounds is when it. paul starts to get a little bit nervous um because she as he said this is mine she is mine the success is mine um and he wanted an ownership of her and that was becoming increasingly difficult because although they were married, everything was going through management, not directly to him. So he had to he had to liaise with other people to get money or do anything. Someone's um, going to knock him off, aren't they, with like a can of Mortine and a lighter? 
Yeah. I don't think you even need the lighter. He's a little <laughs> That's dry. right. He's That's like right. A He's a mosquito. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Can't even, not part of a gang and doesn't do drugs. Call yourself not a we're endorsing, Not that we're actually endorsing doing drugs is making you tough. But he's just a no. bit of failure. Yeah. But also, we're not endorsing being a pimp. But if you're going to be one, like, <laughs> do it properly. It. Put both feet in. Like, get some commitment. Give it oh, right. That's right. All right. Need a small time fly. Yes. Okay. So that's the end of 1979. So things are looking good for Dorothy, and 1980 looks to be even better because they are going to announce that she is the Playmate of the Year. So early in the year, like January, she works on a massive shoot for that campaign for uh, Play Playmate of the Year, and uh, life is life is good. At the mansion, she runs into a man called Peter. Oh, now now that I'm trying to think about it, I'll say it incorrectly. Bogdanovich. Um, I need to say it lots of times so I say it correctly. But Peter Bogdanovich is actually a world-famous movie director. And when I tell you the movies that he um, directed, you, you may actually remember who he is. It's just that we probably haven't heard about him for a while. So he was the real deal. He would be considered, I'm not sure if you'd quite call it Hollywood royalty, but in the 1970s, directors were king. They were the most important person within the movie industry. And that still might be the case now, but it certainly was at that time. And he was responsible for a movie called The Last Picture Show, and it was nominated for eight um, Academy Awards, including Best Director. And it was during that movie that he met and left his wife for Sybil Shepherd. So he was married to Sybil Shepherd at that time. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. And left his wife for Sybil Shepherd. For Sybil Shepherd. So right, Sybil right, features right. in the, the Last Picture Show. In the Last Picture Show, right. Yeah. He then went on to make What's Up Doc, which was a hugely popular right. comedy. Yeah. Oh my God, with, I loved uh, it. With, yes, uh, with Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Yep. And if you go and look at any of the trailers for these films, the way the movies were even promoted in that day was they were showing the director. They were talking about, here's the director and here he is with, you know, the talent and they're interacting with him. They're on set in San Francisco. He was a big deal. You know, he was a big deal. So What's Up Doc was hugely popular, uh, still Massive. considered a great comedy. Massive. Yeah. Correct. And then he goes on to do Paper Moon. And Paper Moon, you'll remember, is um, Tatum O'Neill wins the Oscar for the youngest supporting actress ever. It's a black and white film. She's with her father, Ryan O'Neill. Yeah. Does yeah. that ring any bells? It yeah. Does, it rang it bells does, to me. Yeah. 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 It does, yeah. I love how you say you'll remember that. Like, I don't, I don't think I've seen <laughs> no, that Barbara Streisand one. I don't <laughs> even you know that. What's up, Doc? It's very yeah. funny. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't Tatum O'Neill married to John McEnroe? Correct. Yep. Yep. Yes. Look at that. I, I do know something about pop culture. Yep. You, you, just, you just got a pop culture stamp from me. Stamp. Stamp. You cannot be serious. Did I really? <laughs> but what's really interesting about Peter Bogdanovich? Can I say his name? Peter Bogdanovich. Um, is that he is everything that Paul is not. So when he meets Dorothy, he is actually not at the height of his success because this is now like the late 70s and a lot of this stuff happens sort of early to mid 70s and he's, he's, he's not, you know, the height. He's now looking for new opportunities and, you know, to, you know, 
create something new. I think, you know, things have quietened down a little bit, but still considered, you know, a real gun when it comes to movies and certainly someone you'd want to be in contact with. When, when you say new opportunities, do you mean new hot chicks to put in these movies? Well, what a coincidence. It just so happens. <laughs> Deirdre Chambers. Deirdre Chambers. Yes. It might be Dorothy. Oh, what a coincidence. Dorothy Stratton. <laughs> Upon meeting Dorothy at the Playboy Mansion, he is totally besotted, just utterly taken with her. And a lot of people described her that she'd sort of make time stand still. What I find is when she speaks, when she's on camera, she does have that very, like a little girl, where she, when she talks, it's so slow and so quiet. And you've kind of got no option but to sort of slow down. And it's not so much that she stopped you in place. It's, it, 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 have, it's so like quiet. Marilyn Monroe had a similar effect on me. Yeah, I think it's definitely that, like that. Kind yes. Of, um, Innocent, you know, they totally. want to look after her, but she yeah. was a sex bomb at the same time, you know, like completely, so just, yeah, yeah, yeah. naivety yeah. that they just love. So yeah. he met her, was totally mesmerized by her, and as a result of their initial meeting and subsequent meetings, he created a role for her in a film. Um, no way. Didn't and didn't see this, that coming. No, <laughs> no, you didn't even mention it earlier, did you? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, and this is this is all in such a relatively short period of time. So we're still talking about the beginning of 1980. So he goes off and he creates a. Um, well, I think he already had it. To be fair, he perhaps just includes her in it or creates a role for her within the movie. And the movie is called They All Laughed, and it was, I guess, a romantic comedy. But was being shot in New York City, and the star was actually Audrey Hepburn. Wow. Yep. Jeepers. And they they say the movie was very much autobiographical and it was about, you know, Bogdanovich falling in love. And the person who is cast to play the person that's like Peter Bogdanovich is actually John Ritter, who I also think sadly died, didn't he? Wasn't he murdered? Does that ring a bell with anyone? John Ritter, you'd know him if you saw him. Um, maybe search it up, I'm not sure. Have a look. But it's clear that oh no he he was in um uh he was in that show he had a uh i know who john ritter is yes he yeah. died but he had yes. a little heart, heart thing that no one knew about and he well, died. did he live with two girls in an apartment or something what was that show there was like a sitcom he was, he was in maybe yeah no he was doing wasn't it 17 oh three's company yes that's it three's company yeah yeah but yeah, if you saw okay. a picture of him if you looked at it, you'd recognize yeah, who he was yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So there were some, you know, big names in this film and she had a speaking part. I don't think it was massive, but she was important and it was about falling in love. And, you know, even Peter comes out and says later, you know, it was totally autobiographical. I basically was falling in love with her and in a certain scene he says to this, he says to Dorothy's character, you know, if I asked you to marry me, would you say yes? And she says, well, yes, when my divorce comes through. So it was all headed that way. Now, she could also see things were not going so well with dear old Paul. And what they did was they ended up creating a closed set. So that's only for crew, cast and crew. And that's how they kept him in L.A. while she went Just to New to York. Just to get rid of Paul. Well, pretty much. I suspect that was a, a pretty big part of it. And they oh, certainly told him that. Because I don't know how else they would have kept him away, frankly. He's too persistent. Yeah, so okay. as part... 
As oh, no, part... Guard would keep, is how you keep flies away. <laughs> okay, so on March 22, 1980, uh, Dorothy flies to New York to begin, begin work on They All Laughed with Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, do you know what? It was actually the fifth movie that she'd starred in. She had a little bitty pieces, but all of that had happened within 18 months. They'd only been in LA a very short period of time. So you start to realise you know, in terms of her rising star, how quickly it was rising. And these sort of people, so she had Hugh Hefner in one corner, Peter Bogdanovich in another corner, and sort of literally uh, grabbing her ankles, yeah, crawling on her ankles, crawling up the back of her legs um, in another. So you see these three men. in the corner, not the star corner. Yeah, he was in the small time corner. So apparently, upon arrival in New York, the affair with Peter Bogdanovich started immediately and they fell madly in love with each other. And during the shooting of the film, she moved out of the hotel where the cast were and she moved in and was living with him. Um, And Paul was in contact, but he was finding it increasingly difficult to get hold of her. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. And he was really starting to unravel. And one of the reasons he was really panicked was because he had no income. So he had to get permission from the... And no green card. And no green card. So what he did was, as a result of her winning the Playmate of the Year, she had a huge cachet of prizes that she won. She'd won like a Jaguar. She won... um, (laughs) She probably won another mink coat. Um, there was jewellery, there were... Di- I mean, it was unbelievable because you think of it in terms of sponsorship. The day that she won, the, it was announced, she was on Johnny Carson that night and he asks her what was the prize and she recounts like about six, seven different things that are all, you know, hun- not hundreds of thousands of dollars, but, you know, in those days, I think a car, the car was quoted as being, I think, a Jaguar $26,000, which must have been a huge amount at the time. So dear old Paul finds himself a bit strapped for cash, so he starts selling off some of her prizes so that he's got some money but he's got one last sort of trump card which Dorothy had promised him that she would do like a poster and I know that sounds kind of feeble these days but if you think back to the 70s and what were in you know children's bedrooms you know teenagers bedrooms think of the Farrah Fawcett picture that you know every teenager had or whether it be posters were a big thing yeah they're massive exactly and because of the the sheer circulation um... I think you'll find they were a uh, rather cornerstone type device used in. I want to say Schindler's List, but that's not the film I'm talking about. Oh, Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I want yeah, to, yeah. to yeah. cover the whole behind it. The yeah. hole that he's, yes. that he's digging out to cover get away. The so there's yes. a Raquel Welsh or whatever. So, yeah, you're right. Yes. Posters were massive. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> not in Schindler's List, though. <laughs> I always get the wrong thing and it's also inappropriately wrong anyway keep going Um, (laughs) he um, was the Jewish pimp so he was the Jewish pimp maybe that's oh oh, that's so wrong anyway yeah I feel so I feel like that so anyway I think that can moderate for us (laughs) I think that I think that Paul thought the poster project, as it was called, was going to be the thing that would make him enough money. And, you know, he'd also sort of started looking slightly elsewhere for other Dorothys. So he 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 knew things were not going well, clearly, but he wasn't prepared to give up any ownership that he could. And I think he figured that the poster was probably his, his best chance at that point. 
in in conjunction with trying to find another Dorothy. So he was out there and meeting other young girls. Dairy Queen's best customer. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, I did see some footage where he had met a young girl called, oh, I've got her name now, Laurie, I think her name was. Again, a really beautiful blonde. And I felt sorry for this woman. She's still alive. They're interviewing her and she's saying, oh, you know, Paul told me this and Paul told me that. She ended up becoming a flatmate of Paul's around about this time. And he was sort of trying to groom her for Playboy. But everyone was saying, oh, but she was no Dorothy. Imagine hearing that all your bloody life. Anyway, so Paul's desperate. Paul goes to Dorothy. I don't know if he got to go to New York to do this. I think that he actually did. And he goes in with the image that they've chosen for the poster, uh, or he's chosen for the poster. And through advice from Playboy, and I suspect Peter as well, which is saying, you don't want to be that person anymore. Now you're becoming a serious actress. She shuts it down. And she says, no, we're not going to do the poster. And that's his sort of last trump card. That all, that's all he really had that was connecting him to making money um, separate to, say, a movie or separate to the Playboy contracts, whatever else. And all of a sudden, he, that's it. He has no chance of making any money out of her for the foreseeable. So that's when things really start to shift. Um, he goes back to L.A., and he's despondent. He, as the girl, the girl who I was mentioning before is now his flatmate, and she said he's sad, he's crying, he's writing songs and playing on his guitar about how he loves Dorothy, um, but, you know, he's finding it difficult to get hold of her, and she, is he meanwhile, is in your... himself independently oh! care for others? Oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> right, so things are really falling apart. We've got... Bogdanovich and Stratton in New York and they've got people advising Bogdanovich to be careful. They're already worried about what uh, Paul Snyder is capable of because, you know, small town, small town, small, small man, town's gonna Jewish do. pimp, you know, he's going to come for you. Um, I'm, he's either going to pimp you to death or promote you to death. <laughs> They're the two options available to you. It's that's interesting because he seems like such a pathetic character that it's interesting that people are warning Bogdanovich, yeah. who's big, yes, to be worried about this guy. Well, they just yeah. think that they know how desperate he is and that he's, yeah, but you know, he's got no class. They just think you know he's capable of anything. So just you know, be aware of that. No gun so, laws. But, he, but but he's proved himself to be so incapable of everything. Yeah. That's that's why I find that an interesting kind of concept. Him, so around this he time might gr Dorothy grope him in the grotto to death. <laughs> that will come up later actually. It's a, it's a little bit like another funny. way of saying nut punching. A grope in the grotto is like a nut punch, but I much prefer nut punch. That's the ultimate. Well, yeah, way better. What's interesting is Dorothy Dorothy is still a really sort of empathetic character in the sense that she's writing letters to um, Snyder saying, you know, I, first of all, she's saying, you know, she wants to space things out working out. And by the end of production on the film, she sends him a letter that basically says she's, um, what does it say? That they are now physically and financially separated. So she's basically saying it's over. But she wants to be friends. She wants it to be amicable. And she is going to look after him. She's going to do, you know, a deal. Um, and she's using her you know, her financial management to help her settle some kind of arrangement with Paul so that he is, I wouldn't quite say taken care of, but, you know, that he is, you know, he, he gets something for the he time. Gets of, so he exactly. goes away. And she's very happy to do that. She's not trying, 
Well, yeah, but so she, I think for her, I think she feels guilty and, you know, she can recognise that, you know, it was him, it was Paul um, that she thinks was totally responsible for any success that she's had and she's not trying to upset him and she's certainly trying to do what she thinks is the right thing by him but she's certainly now getting better advice and the people around her are starting to say to her that they can look after that for her. She doesn't need to go back and speak to him, um, you know, let them take care of that. But she's she's not listening. She's not listening. She wants well, to do it herself. Because at some point she probably That's... thought she loved him. Or I'm she sure she did, yeah. Mm. Mm. I'm sure she did. Um, Maybe she still does, but... just not as much as she loves Peter Bogdanovich or whatever. Bogdanovich. 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 Um, so he, he has a brief affair with an old girlfriend, but now sort of convinced that the affair with Bogdanovich is going to be something a bit more serious. Snyder hires a private detective to gather information on his wife's infidelity. Uh, as I said before, he's fucking hypocrite. He's not, he's not so small time. (laughs) But he needs to pay, okay? He needs to pay the detective. So, again, he's having to rely on selling the um, the prize winnings that Dorothy Jaguar. had acquired. Yeah. Um, you, know, at, you know, obviously at a loss just to get some quick cash so he can pay the detective and also just pay for, you know, his own extravagant lifestyle that certainly was probably his champagne um, lifestyle and it'd be a budget. So... It's it's not looking good for Paul. Meanwhile, production's wrapped mid-July, and then Bogdanovich and Stratton actually go to London for a two-week hol- holiday before returning to L.A. And on returning to L.A., she doesn't go back to the house that she'd shared with uh, Small Time. Small Time. Small Time Pim. Small Time Small Time. Small Time Pim. She Oompa, loompa, what, they, they they lease they <laughs> oh <laughs> they rent her a Beverly Hills apartment, but she actually never goes and lives in that. She actually moves directly into Bogdanovich's mansion in Bel Air. So from oh. this point, Schneider's finding it near on impossible to get in touch with Dorothy, and. Uh, Early on in early August, he hides in the shadows outside Bogdanovich's mansion with a handgun, planning to shoot anybody who comes out. Luckily, I knew there was a gun in there. After many hours, he he just gives up. He does drive up into the hills afterwards. No, he thinks about (laughs) shooting himself, but even the end, he doesn't even do that. He goes home and tells a friend that he was thinking about doing it. And at this sort of same time... Can't even do that, right. He then starts to look... Oh, then he has to return that gun. I read someone. That was a borrowed gun. And then he returns that gun and then he becomes oh. quite desperate. Correct. <laughs> Who borrows a gun, doesn't get the job done, then goes, oh, I didn't end up using it. There you um, go, come look, back. Can I just Mate, you didn't even fire a shot. shoot my wife. I want to shoot my wife and maybe her it's, lover. Yeah. Can I just borrow a gun? Because it won't implicate you at all. Don't worry. Because they make me feel pathetic. Do they make him feel pathetic or do they just just hold a mirror up to him and he recognises that he is pathetic? Yeah, he does it all himself. Well, no, no, because 
Some someone like him wouldn't be able to feel pathetic without being made to feel pathetic. Okay. C- can I borrow your um, Can I borrow your <laughs> gun borrow your and gun? your platforms so that the CCTV doesn't show it as me when when they have the height <laughs> register as I walk out the door? They'll <laughs> go, "Oh, he's way maybe bigger person, than small town." Maybe the Maybe the person he borrowed the gun from was actually in a circus, and he said, "Can I borrow your stilts as well as your gun?" And uh, yeah. I to get three yes. feet taller than I am. And the problem was he was a bit wobbly on the stilts because he didn't know how to use them. And yes. that's why I couldn't shoot at anyone. But yes. luckily no one came out anyway. I think it's And also, could you come some... along and juggle some balls and play some crazy music? <laughs> because this is going to be ridiculous. <laughs> oh, eat some fire while you're at it. Could you just eat, swallow some fire? <laughs> yes. God, and do some lion taming. Yeah. We're about to get exactly to the crime, people. Come on. Oh, my God. All right, We're all about right, to get right. to the crime. Oh, sorry. Focus. 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 Focus, everyone. It's a pop. It's Enough a pop. clowning around. Right. So, <laughs> very sadly, there were quite a few... Um, <laughs> stop it, Paul. There were quite a few signs... That people potentially could have picked up on, including he took his private detective with him and asked the private detective to buy the gun. The gun, the guy said no. So he ends up <laughs> buying a gun through a local classifieds um, ad, and he gets a 12-gauge pump action shotgun. The trading shotgun post? From the equivalent of the trading what post. What they want for a dog? Uh, Marketplace. Telling people he was going to take up hunting. <laughs> Jousting sticks. During a conversation with friends, <laughs> an otherwise jovial Snyder casually brought up the subject of playmates who had unexpectedly died. In particular, oh he spoke of Claudia Jennings, an actress and former playmate of the year who had been killed in a car accident the year before. Snyder made several morbid remarks to his companions related to the problems um, at Playboy magazine caused by her death including a comment about how the editors will pull nude photos of a dead playmate from the next issue, quote, if there's time. So he's clearly not in a great headspace. Meanwhile, Dorothy has a meeting on, must be August 14th, with her business manager. And the business manager, um, towards the end of their meeting, makes a fateful observation that his young client doesn't have, so Dorothy, doesn't have to spend any more time with him negotiating anything. She says um, that she could avoid spending time with her husband by handing off the remaining separation and divorce negotiations to her lawyer. But Dorothy replies that the process would go easier if she dealt with Snyder personally, explaining that he was being, he was being nice about everything and finally added, I'd like to remain his friend. So... Everybody is saying to her, don't go. And even people from Playboy are in touch with her saying, you know, other playmates who are friends and said, just stay away from Paul. Don't provoke him. Just get your management to look after that. Wouldn't we all? We've all been there. Is that what you say? What did you say, Paul? Well, wouldn't we all like to be friends with Paul? I thought he said Weevil. What did you say, Paul? She still wants to be friends (laughs) with Paul. Weevil. I said... said, No, <laughs> you said um, she wants to stay friends with Paul, and like, don't we all? I said we've all. Then I thought, 
Maybe he said Weevil. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So on August 14th, Dorothy um, has a meeting planned with Small Time um, to discuss a settlement. And she's met with her business manager earlier that morning. He's advised her that he doesn't want her to go. She doesn't need to go. She can use one of her lawyers. And she's also been told expressly by both Hugh Hefner oh my God. and Peter Bogdanovich. 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 i Peter Bog. Um, <laughs> that she mustn't have anything to do with him. To stay, to stay <clears> with him. So she secretly goes. She doesn't tell them that she's going and she goes anyway. So... His flatmate, so at that point in the house that he had shared with Dorothy, he has two other people living with him. <coughs> Excuse me. And they both know that she's coming over. So to give them space, they both leave the house. I think one of them was actually his girlfriend and the other girl went out for the day. Um, and they leave the house. So Dorothy arrives... When you say has two people living with him, you mean two women? No, actually, one's a man. One's actually a doctor now, so it was just a young guy. Um, oh. Their names were... Their surnames were Kushner okay. and Lawman. Pat... Laurie was the girl who he was trying to actually make into a new Dorothy, another Playboy model. And the other one was just a friend of his, I think, uh, or theirs. Right. Anyway, so Dorothy arrives yeah. at the house about midday, just before. And then, you know, the flatmates are out and they don't return until about 8 o'clock at night. And when they get there, they see both of their cars are out the front. And uh, one of the things that's quite interesting to note is Snyder still had a Mercedes and his number plate was Star 80. <laughs> what, Star of David 80? No, uh, maybe, I don't know. Oh. I don't think you could fit that on, but perhaps perhaps there is a nod there. Star OD um, 80, it should have been. But anyway. Dorothy's car's there as well. So both Kushner and Lawman, who are the flatmates, assume that they've probably reconciled. So they leave them, uh, and there's you know the bedroom door shut, and they leave them to it. And they're just watching upstairs, assuming that, you know, there's a reconciliation. You know what I mean by reconciliation going on downstairs. Uh, but there's sexy a- hours of sexy time. Sexy time. Bit of sexy times happening, except... There wasn't sexy time happening. What had happened was... You lie. <gasps> I'm getting to the point now where the private detective gets in contact with the flatmates and says, I'm not feeling so comfortable about this. Can you just check on them? So go downstairs and they knock on the bedroom door. No answer. And shortly after 11 o'clock, they discover the bodies of both Stratton uh, and Snyder. Yuck. Each had been killed by a single oh. blast of Snyder's shotgun. However, Shotgun? Yeah. Both bodies were nude. Oh, here we go again. And according to the police timeline... Snyder had shot Stratton that afternoon within an hour of her arrival at the house. And then he had committed suicide approximately one hour after the murder. However, in reading this, I've read, oh. I've read conflicting um, responses. One of them says that she was raped before she was murdered. And I've read somewhere else that she was raped both before and, and after, after. Posthumously. And after, because she had blood all over her body as, his uh. as well. Oh, what so is gross. really, really gross is he shot her in the face. Fuck off. What? Yeah. You can't rape so, I mean, oh. you know. yuck. Yucca. Yeah. 
So in an ultimate, really, fuck you to her, to Hefner, to Bogdanovich, to the whole world. An annihilation. You can't have it's her. an annihilation. Yeah. I'm going to She's mine. This was me. If, yeah, it's yeah. over. This is who she was. I'm going to blow off her face. Yeah. And that's what he did. But, but, and then a full hour after, did himself. Do you what? believe that he had sex hideous. with her body after he shot her with having removed her face with a shotgun? 100% he did. It's all about power and ownership. Quite possibly. The blood on her body would suggest that it was after. Oh, both before and after. Right. Oh, it's just disgusting. But I have, I've, I've only but read that in one article, to be fair. Yeah, a total maniacal. And... <sighs> So, the private detective is the person who, first of all, calls the uh, no, Playboy no, Mansion. Well, I'm sure they call that first. Surely, surely no, call well, the I'm, sure, I'm sure the flatmates, I'm sure the flatmates called the police. Right. But, um, and then Hefner calls Bogdanovich. And Bogdanovich has to be, he collapses and has to be sedated. Her mother's informed by the um, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, actually. And there you have it. That is uh, just that awful. is pretty. You can't, you can't get revenge horrendous. on a cow Given like that, that she was so, she was the playmate of the year. I, I mean, what was I, it? it was Sorry, sort of, hang on, Carla. What was that, Paul? Uh, you can't get revenge on someone like that. It's revolting, isn't it? Just like, utterly. If you're like an animal, Bogdanovich, and you're like, like yeah, there's there's no punishment. There's no. Like just, just shoot yourself, mate. Fuck. Yeah, there's no recourse. Don't worry about anyone who, else. Um, it's all about him. Yeah, it's all about him yeah, taking totally. control of the whole situation. Is it time to try to light lighten the mood? <laughs> go, go on. Is it time to try to lighten the Have mood a, a little bit? Have yeah, a crack. yeah. Because I'm just wondering if you know um, the human, you know the human league song. Don't you want me, baby? I feel like that might have been um, loosely based on this song. This story, um, I was working as a waitress in a Dairy Queen. In a Dairy Queen when, when I, met I met you. I was <laughs> working as a waitress in a Dairy Queen. That, that much is true. That much is true. But even then, I knew I'd find a much better Pim. place. Even with a without you. Hugh, 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 Hugh. Or a pin. With or without Hugh. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we are huge. Yes. But hey, See what I did there. Oh, hang on, Great hang on. Hang I on. think, I think, I think my pronunciation of Bogdanovich is going to be Carla, very difficult. Carla, yeah, could you just pause for a second? I just need to give you. Pause. A, I need to give you a little bit of this. You ready? Oh. <laughs> I didn't hear it. Oh, get out of town. Try again. I, I just did it myself. Nothing. <laughs> now I like it. <laughs> Thank you. I deserve that. It was totally cheese. We didn't get it. You didn't hear it? The second time. The boys didn't hear it. So no. with Carla, do your joke again. Either. Either time. Oh, with or without Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> the boy. Hey! There we go. Yep. Three second delay is Boom, really tish. irritating. But anyway. <laughs> there you go. Now yeah, I've worked I'm out the media board. <laughs> don't you want me? That's nice. Paul Schneider. Don't, don't you want me? me Jewish oh. pimp. Yeah, yeah. Don't you want me, Schneider? 
Well, you did. you want me Jewish pig? <laughs> oh, my Lord. Um, anyway, back to, back, back to our <laughs> victims. Don't you shoot me, Schneider. Oh, enough, enough. I'll give you Too a fun. big nut punch. Oh, he needed a nut punch. He needed a serious nut punch. <laughs> <laughs> nut punch city limits, uh, that man. Anyway. Not that he Fucking, he deserves that. He needs to be. Oh, yes. Let's not go there. Um, <laughs> the 12 inch version. I will finish off the, this part of the story by saying that uh, Dorothy was cremated and she was buried in the Westwood Village Memorial Park Cemetery, which I believe is the same cemetery that Marilyn Monroe is um, buried in. Buried yeah. in. Which. I can add something really quite creepy to that, which is in reading about Hugh Hefner separately. Go on then. When Hugh died, he had paid ninety, uh, no, $75,000 in 1992. That's where I was getting that number from. So that he is actually buried in the crypt beside Marilyn Monroe. And he's like, he said... Because that, that's a bit. Um, so they're all in there. That's together. a bit, Mister Tits pervert. Oh, I know. I he he like. said, "Gross." Apparently, Hugh was sorry. Mister Hefner was quoted saying, "Spending eternity next to Marilyn is an opportunity too sweet to pass up." Oh, Isn't that just, I'm sorry. Can we just oh. do a little um, segue to last week? You oh, know, we did the whole Wuthering Heights joke last week, and we don't yeah. have this thing. For those of us who've read yes. Wuthering Heights and know the story. Uh, not me. Heathcliff. Haven't even seen the movie. <laughs> okay. Is there one? I've only seen the film clip with Kate. The real Heathcliff. Well, not the real Heathcliff. Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's me. Too. That's me. That's, that's oh, so no, the Anyway. Uh, that's my Wuthering Heights. Yeah. Heathcliff, when uh, Kathy dies, because Kathy dies well before Heathcliff. Yeah. He breaks into her crypt. And she had a lead-lined uh, casket, and he yeah. smashes it open. And when he and dies... And makes a doll out of her? No, no, he doesn't do that. When he dies, he buries himself next to her and also has an open crypt so that their remains will join each other. Isn't that repulsive? Oh, for God's sake. Yeah. So Hugh Hefner Is and he Maron, Nori, Marilyn Novgorod or whatever that town was called? Novgorod. Nos, oh God! You would think after the many times Nisky I said Nov- Nis, 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 Nisky Novgorod. Thank you. I'm here all week. Novgorod, yeah. Novgorod. I got it wrong so yeah, many times yeah. in the yeah. act, so, so many times in the actual episode, but it's Nizhny Novgorod. You're right. <laughs> anyway, anyway, back well, to yes. uh, Dorothy. Um, so. There is a whole sort of aftermath that comes after the Stratton murder. Um, obviously, shockwaves go through Hollywood, and Bogdanovich just totally loses the plot. So he sort of goes to ground, and then what he does is a year later, the film is released. They all laughed, um, and it it, it does it has a disappointing run. So he spends five millions of five millions five, five millions, millions of dollars. Of dollars. Five, five five millions, millions. of his own dollars. Um, <laughs> Which, by the way, in the eighties, that was a lot of money. Absolutely, yeah. kind of. It's five, kind of sends him broke, to be honest. Five millions of dollars. I've been saving my five millions of dollars for years. <laughs> and it's quite interesting. The film wasn't well received then, but you know, it's one of those things that, as years have gone on, I actually look back at it and think it's a better film than what it was at the time. And some people say it was brilliant, but it was not well received with, you know, in that time. 
So what happens is um, Bogdanovich goes and writes a book about Dorothy and it comes out in 1984, so four years after her death, and it's called The Killing of the Unicorn. And uh, it's sort of described as a biography of Dorothy oh. Stratton, a memoir of Bogdanovich's affair with the married playmate. Who you got to remember? She was only she was twenty. But this was all over. She's she was baby. twenty. Yeah, it's so. I know. Sad. It's so sad. And I'd written down. He was forty-one when she Bloody died. Hell. Yeah, so twenty and forty-one. When, when they were together, and when she died, because it was all over so quickly. Yeah, but we're okay. But what we're okay with large. Not even legally old enough to drink. Maximum age gap that I'm allowing for. But anyway, keep going. Well, they're very young. That's all I'm trying to say. It's not the age difference I'm, so I'm much not... as what your life, your life experience at that time. Um, so, but what this is quite interesting. Like so for her, though, not, not old enough to drink, Sorry, but that? old enough to be playmate of the year. Oh, not old oh. enough to drink, but old enough to be playmate of the year. Can you hear me? Yeah, Martha, right. yeah. Fucker. I can hear us. That's American. We're in the film, same room. Yeah, yeah. Did it get it eventually? I heard. Hello. Old enough to not old enough to drink, but old enough to be a playmate, and a very, very good point made, my friend. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. What's what's there's, the um, there's two different ages in the states of age of drinking? Depending on where you are in the states, there's legal ages of drinking so there's 21 years and there's also 18 years but it really depends on the state you're in mm. the, the point is more that she's not old enough to drink but she's old enough to get her bits out all over yeah the world Correct. as yeah. the like it's, a bit of a, it's a bullshit that she's not allowed to drink but she's allowed standard. to not be not serve alcohol or be around alcohol but she's allowed to sh- put her tits out in public and be exploited that's the point yeah and it's a very well observed point. Thank you. Yeah. And right. go to pajama party slash mm-hmm. roller derby. Roller disco. Or whatever's. Yeah. So in the book, The Killing of the Unicorn. That's the one. Here we go. Yes. This is where it gets quite interesting because Bogdanovich is trying to put I'm a different okay narrative forward. <laughs> He was being very creative. Um, and he has a scathing attack on Hefner and his role and the Playboy philosophy. And he thinks that contributed to her death. By far the most controversial part of the book is the director's claim, so Bogdanovich's claim, that Hefner had sexually assaulted a then 18-year-old Stratton in August of 1978. In the grotto? According... Correct. Oh, that grotto is grotty. A a grab in the grotto. Oh, the grottiest grotto. According to Bogdanovich's allegation, the assault occurred while the two were alone in a secluded area of the Playboy Mansion at the end of Stratton's first day of posing for the magazine's photographer. Bogdanovich chose to use the word seduced to describe Hefner's behaviour in the book because he had originally used the word raped in the drafts of his manuscript. But... (sighs) But Hefner's lawyers clearly were not going to be comfortable with that. So amongst other allegations, he'd also said that Stratton had not married Snyder out of love, but because she used it as an excuse to block Hefner's advances. It's really funny in a world like this when it starts to implode. So, you know, old mate Bogdanovich, who is, (laughs) what did you say, 40 or 41, going out with someone who's 20, 
is accusing somebody else of rape, even though both of them are spreading her naked body all over the world and like yeah you know don't get on your high horse mate you're as much part of the problem as everyone else pull your head in well that um, i'm not sure that bogdanovich actually uh exploited her in any way because i haven't seen they all laughed but i'm guessing she's probably not not naked in it are you kidding no, I'm not kidding. I'm he put it. No, but he put her in a movie because he fancied her and he thought he'd get his bit of his her because away. he's twenty odd years older than she is. He like, was getting, he was already just, getting his wick away before he put it in the house. I think it probably. A wick So that's that book has come out, and to be honest, it was really negatively reviewed. Um, while few objected no to his his attacks on Hefner and Playboy, they were like, "Yeah, well, that probably is fairly accurate." Yeah, they were skeptical yeah. of Bogdanovich's um, newfound feminism, pointing out, for example, that he seemed oblivious to his own sexist susceptibility. Um, I so feel exactly it, it didn't the same. go down so well. And he was, you know, really quite yeah. out of favour. The image that yeah, Hugh agreed. Hefner presented to the public was much more of a father figure. He was, you know, trying to be this benevolent oh. support network for Stratton. And, you know, he, he emphasised, you know, how amazing she was because what he did was after her death in May two, sorry, in May 1981, in that issue... Can I just interject? Yeah. Because it's nice he's a father figure. I'm sorry, Carla. It's, it's, nice, right. he's a father, it's, a it's nice he's a father too. figure, but um, he, according to Bogdanovich, raped her. And fathers Because who doesn't want to be raped daughters? by a father figure no, in the grotto? Just saying. Who I don't has care whether you call yourself a father you or a figure. Mold. And what's with the grotto? That's right, Paul. What's with all the grabbing and the groping and the shit that goes down the grotto? Uh, I don't think Hugh Hefner's position is sound. So in 1985, so a year after the Unicorn, I forgot what the Unicorn book was called, that book had book had been published, um, Hefner was interviewed and uh, Hefner admitted that several weeks after Stratton first arrived in Los Angeles, so this is the very first time she was there I believe, the two had taken a nude soak in the jacuzzi (laughs) on the Playboy Mansion grounds. I don't know if that's actually the grotto or it's near the grotto. Oh. The place where Bogdanovich claimed the sexual assault had occurred. In the same in the interview, ghetto. while allowing that they had hugged in the jacuzzi, Hefner denied having forced himself on Stratton. Hefner also denied, despite his reputation, that he'd ever seen so much as ever so much as made a pass after learning that she expected to become engaged to her boyfriend. As it would have turned out, this would have been two months before he'd ever met um, Schneider. So this was before she was going back to Vancouver. So there is a little bit of a question mark, shall we say, over that. Well, he's dead, so there let's also say another Shock me. Well, this is what he said. So then mm-hmm. I think he was a little bit caught out in that interview, but what he would go on to say is, there is still a great tendency for this thing to fall into the classic cliche of small town girl comes to Playboy, comes to Hollywood, life in the fast lane. Oh, fuck off. Classic cliche. 
an entire business built on bringing women into this scenario. Fuck off, you have now. Yeah. That is Groovy true, but it does go on to say, and I, this, is this is important though, that is not what really happened. A very sick guy saw his meal ticket and his connection to power, whatever, slipping away. And it was that and it was that that made him kill her. And I do think that's true. I think they all played a role yeah, yeah, yeah. in this yeah. fantasy factory, this machine that is Schneider Hollywood. killed her. They've all played Schneider a role. Schneider killed her. Totally. No he question. was the one who tried to go down. Correct. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I'll take that. However... I was okay. trying to work out which one was the very sick guy. <laughs> they all were. Now, this is the last bit, but it's really quite interesting. Schmitty, listen up. You'll love this bit, okay. darling. So... There was a bit of a legacy. So first of all, there are two two films that have been um, made. One is just a made-for-television, which is called Death of a Centerfold, the Dorothy Stratton story, which was, was that a lifetime released very filming? quickly because it was released was in 1981. Well, ja- Jamie Lee Curtis. Really? And the other one? And uh, the other one, this is what I find really interesting. The other one can be seen on Pornhub. Jamie Lee no, Curtis No, it's a Bob nothing. Fosse feature film. Jamie Lee Curtis it, looks nothing like... What? But she's hot. Yeah, she was hot, but she did. She looks well, nothing hot, like. She had long blonde this hair. Girl, yeah. Dorothy Stratton. Okay, go on. And Bob Fosse. And how freaky is this? The other film was. Yes, it's a Bob Fosse feature film. It was called Star Eighty, which remember was the number plate, which was Paul Snyder's number plate. But this is quite interesting. So, yeah. on her grave, um, Bogdanovich put a quote. Uh, on her grave from Ernest Hemingway. Uh, I've forgotten uh, what it's called. But it turns out his granddaughter, yeah, his granddaughter, Mariel Hemingway, plays Dorothy Stratton in the 1983 Star 80 uh, film. And Eric Schneider, no, sorry, Eric Schneider, Eric Roberts is actually um, Schneider. So that was interesting. What I find particularly interesting is in December 1988, at the age of 49, Bogdanovich married Stratton's sister, oh, Louise, yuck. who was 20. Oh, yuck. <laughs> yuck, yuck, oh. yuck. Oh, stop. sick, twisted fuck. So Bogdanovich, after Dorothy had died, had said, I would have gone on to marry her. They would have been my family. I will look after them. So he had looked after her mother. She did have a younger brother and a much younger sister. An blah, blah, yeah. blah. So the little sister Louise, her private school fees and her modelling fees were all paid for by Bogdanovich, who then later, when she was 20, married her. Their marriage lasted for 13 years, actually, but doesn't that just make it feel a bit icky? Of oh, course her modelling fees were paid for her. What would that have made him, like, she probably didn't ever want to be a model, but he said, I'll pay for those fees. Don't worry. You just model your little ass off. Isn't that crazy? Fucker. Um, yeah. Oh. And it's the last disgrace. thing is that she's also, in as part of the legacy, there's a song by the Red Hot Chili Peppers called Californication. <laughs> and there's a line in there that refers to Dorothy. Yes. And, it, and it ref, it ref, um, it's about the book, about the unicorn book. Um I was just going to look at the lyrics where I looked at it last night and now I've forgotten because I can't remember anything so I'm too old. Because uh, they're it, hard to understand those lyrics. Oh, first born unicorn. So that's her. First 
first born unicorn, hardcore, ah. soft porn, dream of Californication. So they're old Dorothy Stratton. Um, and because she was oh. Canadian, I believe that... Immortalised. Brian Adams has sung about her and another band, which I'd never heard of, called Prism, which must have been big in Canada, but... Yeah, so she wasn't in on the scene for long at all. Then. I bet I bet a London Morissette wrote a song about her too, <laughs> where she probably stabbed some blokes because they deserved it. Oh my something. god! But isn't it interesting? Like all of these at characters. At least Hugh Hefner, Peter Bogdanovich, Paul Schneider, and poor old Dorothy Stratton, who they just used up. I don't know. Used up. And oh, I don't know. Killed. Actually, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. All right, we hope you're enjoying our show. We'd love it if you would follow and like us on our Facebook page at Trial by Wine and share with all your family and friends. Help us get to 2,000 downloads by the 30th of January 2022 by giving us a five-star rating as it helps spread the word. We can't thank you enough for your support. Now back to the show. All right, so I've got to think about some What's your trial? Exactly. Who, who, Who would you sentence? Who would you sentence and what would you sentence them for and to? Okay, so Carla. Yeah? I want to know what you think should be the sentence and who you think you would um, send down for this. Really? Well. well yeah, I do. Having You go first because you've had more time to think about it. Yeah. I know, but you know I always go light and I always feel bad if I go hard and I, I, the guilt sits with me for several days afterwards if I say something like I did I want after you know, one of the next few ones. That, bo- that bothered me for a week. I know, but it, I know, darling. It's but I still fictitious. Don't I know, of course it is, but I still feel, oh. I don't know, uncomfortable. Anyway, I think okay, that right. um, my sole judgment I will leave for Mr. Paul... Snyder slash Schneider, depending on how Jewish you want to be on any given day. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think that his idea of hell would be somewhere where he was an absolute nobody with no access to beautiful women, money, the extravagances of life that he, you know, thinks that he deserves whether that be fast cars fast women money mink coats jewelry um and i was thinking what might be awful for him would just to be if, if he was in some sort of permanent state of being stuck in a suburban hell with a sea haggy old well, that's not very nice to women though but you know like some <laughs> old bitchy old sea haggy wife who just was you know dreadful and treated him terribly and he was totally under the thumb with her and he had no he had no one no one could see him he was trapped but he could see out and he could see that Dorothy went on to be a great star and I had read a quote somewhere that said that somebody and I can't remember who it is I could find it they likened her they said that she could have been a Julia Roberts or a Reese Witherspoon which I thought were two kind of very different options but I think in saying that, I mean, he was watching her become a legitimate star. You know, she was an actress who had sought-after roles, who had uh, an incredible career, perhaps ended up with, you know, being a director herself and was really part of the Hollywood establishment, not just some girl who got a gear off because some, you know, sleazy bloke made her. Uh, I think that would be his ultimate punishment because he just 
for her to be legitimate and to be real and him to be a nobody and no one knew his name no one no one even knew he ever existed but he had to watch it all from some shitty suburban situation i think that would be punishment yeah. for him <laughs> and a nut punch <laughs> and several nut punches. several nut punches um in the grotto, oh. he needs a good nut punch in the grotto. With the sewerage line and straight the... into his nice. mouth. <laughs> yes, and a grotto grope. You need a grope in the grotto. <laughs> a grope in the grotto. What about you, Schmitty? What are you thinking? Yeah, look, it's a difficult one because, um, you know, we did the whole uh, Wuthering Heights connection earlier. Yeah. And the whole thing about... Hugh Hefner being buried next to mm. Marilyn Monroe grossed me out. I know. Uh, and you, and you, you talked about um, Dorothy being cremated. I don't know. I feel earlier in the book of um, Wuthering Heights, Heathcliff, as a punishment for Kathy, because Kathy, you know, burned him for another, uh -huh. hung her dog. So, Ooh. like... On a tree. I know, I know. It, 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 this is a very unpleasant kind of, uh, you know, uh, visual that you get when you're yes. ironic, I say visual, but idea in your head that you get when you're reading this book. Heathcliff takes a small, I don't know whether it was a Pomeranian, it was a small dog anyway, and um, hangs the dog outside and it upsets Kathy a lot. And yeah. I think Paul Schneider is like a little yappy fucking dog Yep. That never got anywhere. Um, small, small, everything. Small dick. <laughs> small fry. Small, small everything. Yeah. So I'm going to hang him from a tree as Heathcliff did to Kathy's dog. Mm -hmm. And it's not nice, I know. But, you know, he, I just feel like he's the smallest of small people. And had no right to put oh, poor Dorothy in this I situation. Know. It's and awful to think that he shot her right face to, off. How could you have loved somebody and oh. do that to them? And I did. I did read about a lady. Oh, maybe I heard a lady say. She said, you know, truly loving someone is also understanding that, you know, they might not be best suited to be with you or that they no longer love you and allowing that to sort of happen. It's not go. shooting yeah. their face yeah. off and then raping them. Fucking face yeah. off. I, I know, that's just... And then raping their yeah. corpse. Correct. That's it, not about it, love. It is so disgusting. Yeah. No, it's about control, it's about ownership. Totally, yep. He didn't love her. He was a prick. I'm going to hang him on a tree and kill him like... Heathcliff killed the small dog because I feel like this is <laughs> very much dog. a Wuthering Heights story <laughs> in a different time. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Now, Paul. Clarkie, what do you think? So um, there's a couple of things that I would like to, uh, a couple of crimes I'd like to call out and a couple of sentences I'd like to have. So my first one is Hugh Hefner because the whole I'm going to pay an exorbitant amount of money to have the grave next to Marilyn because I'm a dirty perv yeah. and I want to spend the rest of my life with her. Um, I'm actually not okay with. So he, he just needs to be exhumed and probably just <laughs> chucked on the scrap heap. And, and you know, I, I won't miss that. Um, but then I'm not okay with uh, Bogdanovich who, um, who thinks that he's not part of the whole thing, but... He really, really is, and he's, um, 
you know, he's, he's chasing, or he's, he's looking for people in places where it's probably not appropriate. He finds someone who's 20 years younger. He then, did he marry her? I'm not really sure. Uh, and then he ended up marrying the sister who's eight years younger again. Like, it's just all a little bit gross for my liking. So he's not a fan of mine. So I think that he needs to be exhumed. And I'm not sure where this place is yet or even if it exists. But he should definitely be buried. Are you talking about Bob Donovich? Yeah, yeah. But I think that's in the trial by wine. Yeah, yeah. Totally Bob Donovich. That's the trial by wine theme park. We have a little cemetery. (laughs) He's not dead yet. So that's something for him to look forward to. He's old though. (laughs) So it won't be long before he goes there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, well, no, that then I can't exhume him, so we need to have a different punishment, which is probably just, I don't know, being shot in the face. Just kill um, him. I probably oh, it, wouldn't it, object too much to that. Feels a bit hard. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you know. Okay. It's, I, I know it's over, it's over the top. It's over the top, but I'm just a bit annoyed about him, and I don't really know. Is that boggers? What else to do. And clearly I know that... Whilst yeah, I say this, it's not Bog, really going to happen. Very yeah, totally bogus. With Bogdanovich? Yeah. Um, and his posh short for younger sisters. I am. I am. The I'm uncomfortable yeah, with yeah, this book. The yeah. younger sister makes him very uncomfortable. Which I, I, get, I get, I get, I it's, get. But it's not just that. There's also that piece around the fact that he decided that he should call out how shonky everyone else yeah. is in that industry when... I just don't think he's that disconnected from it, and um, it's just something weird about when that stuff. Yeah, but I gotta say, anyway, what so that I, I think was a very pro- funny film. Just saying, <laughs> and that all happened before he met so Dorothy. It's, it's a good point you make, and maybe one day. I'll but watch it is it. really interesting that you watch- say that, Paul, because in looking at the yes. story itself, if you just look at this for what it is. Where you know, in most of the articles and different things about a murder, it, I mean that in itself is a dreadful crime. But it's actually the other stuff that when you unearth that and you go, oh, if I lay that over the top and I go, hang on, what? Hugh Hefner bought like the crypt next to Marilyn Monroe so he could be buried next to her for all eternity, and he's the guy who's like saying that at some point, you know, he's the moral compass compared to the guy who he's saying is a pimp. Or you look at Bogdanovich and you say that. Oh, you know, he was, you know, he was a good yeah, guy. He yeah. was a great movie director. He was this. But then, you know, he ends up marrying the little sister who was eight years younger than Dorothy. All of that stuff, when you start to put that in with the story, where you start to feel very uncomfortable about who they were as a, you know, not just not just the part of the story about the murder, it's also what these other people, their view of the world is. You start to think, oh, God, they were all, you know, white men of sort of, I guess their own making, but using, well, Privilege. of their own making, dubious using women. They were all white men of dubious character. Yes, who were trying to use women to either well, make money and or in love with them. Sorry, no, no, in the 70s and early 80s, women were commodities. Absolutely. No, no, right up until, like, yesterday. <laughs> yeah. You laugh, I'm not. I'm not anti the whole, you know, a, tw- a twenty-year age difference in a relationship. I think that 
you know, that's well, okay. No, yeah, thank you. It's when you're part of that institution <laughs> that, that kind years of sexualizes children. Not prostitution, Paul. Yeah, yeah. But the, but the, but the the age isn't the issue. It's when you're yeah. sexualizing yeah. children who are seventeen years old, and then trying to cry foul. And he wasn't that part of it, but he was totally immersed in that yeah. world. And it's to me, it doesn't come as um, as inconceivable that his movies all feature a you know a, a yeah. pretty woman as a centerpiece yeah, and then all of a sudden he finds himself in this world yeah, and Paul, then he's marrying this pick me a film uh, that like doesn't it's... have a pretty woman in the centerpiece like it's not i don't think that he's I'm, I'm not i'm not no no but if you none of these things in isolation are the problem okay. it's when you connect them all okay. that it becomes a little bit foul that's that's where i'm kind of i think it's, you know I he he happens to find i agree with you he's going out with his sister it was distasteful no no but it's not just that he meets a penthouse pet and straight away finds a role for her in the movie you know yeah, but, like but, but is it really not hard to believe that you meet someone that you're so attracted to and you think is so gorgeous and wonderful that you want to, you know, create a role for her? I don't think that's unbelievable. I think after she shot the face and raped by her ex-husband or husband, estranged husband, yes, uh, that you then create a relationship with her younger sister. That is fucking wrong and sick. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm calling that. I'm calling that out. Yeah, yeah, but but I could. I, I think no, no. But I think I could. Say, I think it's a good call. But I think I could see some of these foul things coming, and not not that. But he um, that there's just a lot of borderline things that have happened, and if you connect yeah. them all together, you kind of go, yeah, this bloke's not as credible as he's Correct. making out to be. So yeah, he um, yeah probably not shot in the face. That's probably a bit a bit much. But he definitely needs some good nut punchery. Um, but I also think that um, Schneider. So Schneider, I, I don't know. We're, we're kind of um, talking a little bit at the moment about the whole theme park idea of <laughs> um, how to punish people, and it's not a fun world. So don't anyone ever think that you would want to go here but you know if we're going to come up with some uh some punishments that are new and fresh and and maybe not just putting people in jail for a long time i think there was a disneyland ride called it's a small world <laughs> i've been on it and you used to get in a boat and go around yeah, it yeah and they play you know it's a small yep. small world yeah i've whatever. seen it yeah that, that's the one yeah 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 so I wanna I wanna take a little bit of that, but make it called um, "It's a pathetically insignificant world," <laughs> and then he can sit there and go around on "It's a pathetically insignificant world" ride for all eternity, um, and you know it could have images of Dorothy come up. It could have. Um, you know, he doesn't like drugs, so let's just chuck some drugs in there as well, just to razz him up <laughs> a little bit. Um, just, just that sort of stuff. Make him really reinforce the fact that you know, you don't own people. That's not a thing. No, no, and, and I think he could just be on um, the. You know, you know how ass. these um, 
uh, rides are all you're in a kind of a cart and you're on a <laughs> railway track and and as you chug along you see these things what if he was just perpetually strapped to the uh, tracks of this thing and he never you know he, he, he regenerates himself every time that someone runs over him so it's just cut in half cut out you yeah. know like Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, you're right. You, yeah. You, now you're feeling it. Yeah. Cheapest. We're just going to run him over with. Mm. Ouch, that's, uh, <laughs> that's fairly tough. <laughs> a little bit of Groundhog Day where he dies every What's day. What's the name of your blood yeah. again? Pathetically. And then he's reborn and he wakes up every morning. T- oh, oh, no, that's the ride. <laughs> and so it'll be. It's a pathetically well, insignificant all. world after all. It's a pathetically insignificant world after all. It's a pathetically insignificant world after all. It's a pathetically insignificant world after all. I've had too much gin to be able to say that. <laughs> I um, I feel like, exactly that, that like that works quite nicely with my idea of that sort of suburban. That's exactly what I was sort of describing, I think. Exactly that. Uh, yes. We might have to change the melody a little bit or the rhythm a little bit, but you know you know where it's going. Add another bar and then we can fit it all in. It's fine. Yes. Oh. Um, I think that's it well, for me. And Carla, you're done? Yeah, I'm done. All right. Well, all I have to say is that was a pretty sad story, but... A good one, and well done, Carla. I thought it was sort of, I don't know, I thought it was quite interesting because there were sort of characters that we'd heard of and all this stuff that sort of goes on behind the scenes sometimes that you're sort of not so aware of. You know, people's behaviour is very questionable and there's lots of things that are in broad daylight. You know, we see it all the time, but it's only when you start to dig a bit deeper or look behind things you think, oh, God, that's not right. Um, I found that quite interesting. Yeah, look I liked the fact that um, you pulled in a heavy hitter in um, Hugh Hefner, not Bogdanovich. I mean, I know of the films that he made, but wouldn't have called him a heavy hitter. And I have a feeling he just dissipated after that, which is sad. Um, But I just think it was a really good story. And... um, it was a sad story. I've got to say, it was sad yeah. because poor old Dorothy didn't deserve that, and that that and you know she could have gone on to learn how to speak like an adult. <laughs> Unfortunately, she didn't get to do that. Anyway. I was just hanging for the moment where I could actually make a joke about the fact that um, Dorothy ended up leaving that industry and became Dorothy the dinosaur, but. The fact that he lived till 20, that just was never, ever going to happen. So yeah. that was a bit disappointing no, from my it, perspective. It's pretty tragic. Um, it uh, Like, yeah, it's tragic. Anyway, good job, Carla. Great story. 
Yeah. Paul, any final comments before we sign off? Uh, no, I think uh, amazing again. We've had a little bit of an entertainment theme over the last few uh, episodes, so that's been fun. Um, mm. So, yeah, really well done. Great chat, uh, as always, and can't wait to do it again. Yeah. As Paul was like, good chat, good chat. Miss you already. Goodbye, Bye. guys. Bye, thanks for listening. Bye. Ciao. Bye-bye. Love you long time. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.